Amen. Well, it's good to see you. Good to be together in the house of the Lord. It's always refreshing. It is always such a, uh, a blessing to be able to come together with God's people to encourage one another to worship the Lord. And if you're visiting for the first time, we trust that you have sensed more than just a warm welcome by those around you, but you have sensed the presence of the Lord. He is here. He loves you, and he wants to draw you to himself this morning. Uh, last week, we spoke a little bit about trying to discern uh, the season that we are in, or trying to discern, understand better the season that we feel of what the Lord is doing, uh, whether it's in our lives personally, what it is He's seeking to do in our culture, our community, our society in these days, and of course, what He's doing in the local body, in the church, the church at large. As I shared last week, we were part of a prayer gathering a couple of weeks ago where there were over 100 pastors, leaders meeting together, just a, a, an impromptu, a spontaneous meeting. It was such, such an encouragement to see so many response. We know that God is working. We know in this season that, that the Lord is moving. And even amidst all the things that we see in our culture, all the things that would be good reason to be discouraged and throw your hands up in the air and say, what has happened to the world? That in the midst of that, as the scripture says, that where the darkness seems to be increasing, the grace of God is always a step ahead. The grace of God is even more increasing. And God is lifting people out of the sewage of what our society has become in many ways and he's bringing them into the stream of his spirit. He's cleansing people and restoring lives and breaking addictions and, and all these beautiful things that we were seeing. Well, you may remember last week we mentioned as well this idea of what was called the former reigns and the latter reigns. Our texts were, hey, uh, you know, you were here. Um, <coughs> it's in the, in the Old Testament anyway. Um, I was teasing. It was in Hosea and Zechariah where the Lord is talking about the former reigns and latter reigns. And basically what it means is that in, in the, in the uh, agriculture of, uh, of the days of Israel is that just like in many warm climates today, when seeds were sown in the fall, there would be, uh, you know, some rains that would come, kind of like in our winter season, some light rains, and uh, that would cause the seeds to begin to germinate. And when you saw those seeds kind of push through the ground, well, you knew it wasn't time for harvest yet. You couldn't just say, oh, look, here they go, and start, you know, start gathering. Of course, you had to wait. And so the Lord said, when you start to begin to see those signs of life, begin to press in. Understand that God is doing something. Pray for what the Bible calls the latter rains or the spring rains. What is he saying? He's saying, make sure you pray for when you're in that season of growth. Make sure you're praying that, that, the, that the strong rains would come, the rainstorms would come that actually accelerate that germination that you're seeing to bring the crop to full fruition and bring it into the harvest. And one of the reasons I believe the Lord is saying pray for the latter rain, he's not saying that if you don't pray, it's not going to happen, the rain itself. But what happens is when you and I give ourselves to prayer, we actually begin to commune with the Lord and what he is doing, we begin to hear from the Lord. He speaks to our hearts and he says, yeah, here's what I'm doing, but here's the role I want you to play. Here's what I want to do in your heart. I don't want you to miss out on the bounty of the harvest. And so it's very easy for many of us when we see the Lord beginning to do things, even in our culture, in the church, uh, all around us, to, to be able to celebrate that, say, oh, praise the Lord, isn't that wonderful? And yet we never get in on it. And the reason we don't get in on it is because though we may approve of it and be thankful for it, we're not pressing it in prayer and saying, Lord, let it also happen in me. Lord, I don't want to miss what you're doing. I want to discern what you're doing. And also I want to be used by you in that season of harvest I don't want to just be standing back and observing. So the Lord wants us to, to give ourselves to these things. When we see that sprouting, you might say, he wants us to press in and persevere until we see what the Lord promises for us, which I believe is still in store. And that is, even though the Lord is working around us, there, is an, there are seasons of just kind of an uncommon outpouring of God's Spirit, of an uncommon working of God. And that's something we still want to see. 
Uh, I really believe the Lord still has that for his people. He has it for our society, but we need to press in. I was saying to the staff just this past week that we have to guard ourselves that we don't grow accustomed to what it is the Lord is doing. I believe that we are in a season where there's a, there's a freshness of his presence. We are seeing on a more regular pay, uh, basis people coming to Christ. We're seeing, obviously, water baptisms, Holy Spirit baptism. We're seeing many, many healings, and we don't want to grow accustomed to that. We're seeing an unusual hunger for the presence of the Lord, a hunger for prayer, beautiful, beautiful evidences that God is working, that God is doing something in our midst. But we need to understand that, that there was a time when those things really weren't happening that often. It was kind of few and far between. I mean, even 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you weren't seeing a lot of that. You would see sporadically, you know, people come to the Lord, or you'd have your 10 or 12 faithful people at prayer meeting, whatever. God is doing something. And so we need to recognize that, that, that God is doing something unique today uh, for the season that we are in. And though we've seen some of the things like that happen in the past, we've not seen it in this same way. And the psalm comes to my mind, Psalm 118, where you said, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous to see. The Lord is on the move, but he also has a role for every single one of us that he wants us to play. When you look in 2 Kings chapter 2, we have the story of uh, the prophet Elijah and his apprentice, Elisha. And Elijah was coming to the end of his days. The Lord told him, Elijah going to be taking you to heaven soon, so kind of get, get ready for that. And so what Elijah does is he speaks to Elijah, and he says in verse 9, he says, what can I do for you before I am taken away? And so what does Elijah say? He says, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. If God has taken you, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah replies, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. In other words, if you stick with me, if you keep walking with me, if you, if you just stay with what God is doing, then it'll be yours. But if you don't, it won't happen. And I think it speaks to the tendency of drifting. Hey, if you stay focused, if you stay locked in, then you're not going to miss a thing. But whatever you do, don't drift, don't get distracted, okay, or you're going to miss it. And of course, he wasn't talking about losing your salvation or anything, but you're going to miss what it is, that extra portion that God wants to give to you. You see, in the Jewish culture, when we talk about a double portion, it had to do with a father-son relationship. And when a father passed away, a double portion of the inheritance was given to the son. The eldest son was given twice as much as the rest of the brothers. I think it was just kind of a way to get the brothers fighting when they were gone. You know, I'm not sure what the reason for that was, but he got a double portion. And so Elijah recognized that he has this father-son spiritual relationship with Elijah. And so he says to Elijah, when you're gone, I want twice the Spirit of God that was upon you. Now, Elisha was not saying, I want twice as much of the Spirit because I saw God do some pretty neat things through you. I want to do that too. It wasn't about that. What Elisha was saying is, listen, I recognize the anointing of God that is upon your life is for the purpose of bringing life and hope and salvation to the people of Israel who are in a state right now of spiritual decline and moral rebellion. I recognize, Elijah, if you go, that without the power of God, I cannot continue what you've been doing. I can't continue the mission of what you've been doing. And so I'm so thankful as I stand here this morning for the heritage that many of us have received because of godly men and women who have walked before us. 
And I'm thankful for the shoulders that we can stand on. But I want to be the first to say this morning, friends, that if we are going to remain faithful to God in this generation that has grown increasingly dark, if we are going to see God do what he wants to do in his love for our communities, in his love for our cities, the transformation he wants to bring for lives to lives, if we're going to continue the mission and even go beyond and address the issues that are quite unique today, then we are going to need every ounce of that double portion of that prophetic anointing that the Lord has for his people. We need to recognize that without that, without the anointing of God, we will not break the yoke. We will not shatter bondages. We will not break addictions. We will not see people that are healed from every kind of confusion and dysphoria and every kind of darkness and evil. We will not see it. As Paul said, he said, I didn't come to you with convincing words. I didn't come to you with theology only. I didn't come to you with just lofty speech. I came to you with a demonstration of God's spirit and power that your faith would not be in the eloquence of men. Your faith would be in the power of God. In other words, I came in the power of God so that you would meet Jesus, that you would know that you know Jesus, that he has set you free, and he can keep you free, and he can use you to minister freedom to others. You need to know that you know him. And as the people of God, we need to be determined, Lord, I want that same anointing. I want a double portion of your spirit in this generation. But you see, in order for Lord to be able to do what he wants to do, friends, it's going to take all of us. It really is. Gone are the day of spect spectating. Gone are the days, I've said many, many times, of celebrity pastors or celebrity leaders. That is not how God is going to transform our community. He's going to transform our community by every single one of us being light and love and, and spirit-filled people wherever we go, in our workplace, at the bus stop. It doesn't matter where it is, wherever it is. And I promise you, if that is your heart's desire, if you are awake and alert to that, when you wake up in the morning and understand who you really are as a child of God, not only will God use you to touch people, you will see him draw people to you. You will see him draw people to you, and you will see the gifts of the Spirit operate in your lives, and people will be blown away that God actually knows them and cares about them. So it's going to require all of us actually agreeing with what it is the Lord is saying to us personally, and also accepting the role of what he wants us to do. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's easy for us to kind of cheer on what God is doing, but it can be hard to really accept the fact that he wants to do it through me. That he wants to use me. I mean, you know, we can have the attitude of, I'm all for it, praise the Lord, I'm praying for it. The Lord is saying, yeah, yeah, it's good, but I want to use you. I want to do these things through you. I really believe the Lord would have us to understand. It really is kind of the crux of, of what I wanted to share this morning. I think it's Nelson Mandela who said it many years ago. But he said this. He said, I am the master of my fate. And I am the captain of my destiny. And every one of us need to understand that that's what we are in God's eyes. Whatever the Lord has for me, whatever he's called me to, whatever he's done for me, whatever he wants to minister through me and around me, he says, I can only do it if you say yes. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your destiny. You have that power. You have that freedom. Now, in 1 Samuel, we read the story of Israel's first king. Anybody know who Israel's first king was? His name? Saul, right. In the Hebrew language, it's Shaul. It means, I have asked him of God. In other words, Saul was considered a gift of God to his family. Now, up until that point, as you probably recall, um, God led his people through his prophets. 
He would speak to Samuel. Samuel would speak the word of the Lord to the people. Uh, he, he would have judges that would, you know, oversee certain things that had to be decided uh, everyday life. But God wanted to lead his people through his prophets. But Israel saw all the nations around them. They said, we want to be like them. We want to have a king. We want to have a tangible, in the flesh, someone we can see, a castle up there, knowing somebody's on the throne. We want a king. And Samuel says, you don't realize what you're asking for. I mean, number one, nobody can lead you better than the Lord. But if you get a king, you know, what's going to happen is, number one, he's going to start to tax you. You're going to start to lose some of your money. He's going to conscript your sons for battle. So you're going to start seeing your sons and, uh, you know, dying in the military. He's going to take the best of the land, the fields for himself. So there's a lot of stuff that you're going to give up just to have this person kind of leading over you. But they said, no, that's what we want. And God said, okay, I'll give you what you request. I will give you a king. And God chose a king. Now, what's significant about that in God choosing the king is that God is saying, okay, you've rejected me. Remember Samuel says, Lord, you know, I'm all upset because they, they, you know, they want a king. And God says, it's okay, Sam, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. God understands that. But he says, even though they rejected me, I'm still going to lead them. And how am I going to lead them? Okay, they'll still listen to the prophet, but I'm going to give them a king who knows me. I'm going to give them a king who has the spiritual ability to actually lead my people. Let's read a few excerpts from 1 Samuel. God, first of all, speaks to Samuel and says this in chapter 9, verse 16. He says, I will send you a man from the tribe of Benjamin, anoint him as ruler of my people Israel, and he will rescue them from the Philistines. And then when Samuel meets Saul through a variety of circumstances, he meets Saul and he shares God's word with Saul. What does Saul say? He says, I belong to the tribe of Benjamin, Samuel, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important one in the tribe. Why then do you talk like this to me? In other words, you must have the wrong guy. You've got the wrong person. Have you ever felt that way? The Lord speaks the word to your heart. Maybe you're just in worship this morning and things are starting to bubble up and the Lord has given you the desire for more. Just ears he wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring healing. Things he's, he's laying upon your heart. We can respond the same way and say, Lord, you are good. Lord, I believe you're almighty. I just don't think you can do a whole lot through me. But when God tells Samuel, he says, I will send you a man. What is he saying? He's saying, Samuel, I have chosen a man. In fact, this man's not even aware that I've chosen him. But I'm going to send him your way, and you'll see who he is. This reminds me of what Jesus said in John 15. Why don't you read it with me? You did not choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear much fruit, the kind of fruit that endures. The Lord says, you're not here out of the goodness of your own heart. You didn't initiate anything. I initiated it. I have chosen you, and I have appointed you. Now, being appointed to something obviously includes a measure of responsibility, but that's not the key focus here. When the Lord says, listen, I have chosen you, and I have appointed you, that word appointed is meant to give you the reassurance that whatever you feel like, whatever you see, whatever lie the enemy brings your way, the Lord is saying, I have selected you. I have selected you. I have chosen you. The Lord wants us to understand that everything he lays upon our heart, he has already determined to do because he has chosen us for that. Now, after Samuel speaks to Saul, he gives him a sign. 
He gives him a sign so that Saul would have no doubt that the word that, that God has spoken is for him and that he will be given the ability to do what it is that God has said, even though he may feel unqualified. And so after telling him that he's going to be uh, meeting some people uh, at a certain time, some men, he says this in chapter 10, verse 6. He says, after this, the Spirit of the Lord will come mightily upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will feel and act like a different person. And then when Saul leaves Samuel from that conversation, before any of this happens, we're told in verse 9. Will you read it with me? God gave him another heart. God did this work in Saul's heart. He gave him a, a whole different perspective. And then later on, the Holy Spirit. And I believe that what happened to Saul was really a foreshadowing of what happens in the heart of every person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. Every person who says yes to the Word of God to them, what the Lord speaks to us. We know the Scripture well, but I'll read the 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 5 from a, a modern translation. It says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes what? A brand new person where? Inside. From the inside out, he changes us. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That's what Jesus does. And then Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing he said to Saul. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have the ability to prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? It means to speak from the heart of God. And how do you speak from the heart of God? Because you know God. You're walking with God. Now here's the key. For those of us this morning who profess faith in Jesus Christ, however you may feel this morning, there was a point in time where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus changed my life. Now, some of us who've grown up in the church, we can somewhat have the disadvantage sometimes of kind of feeling like we've kind of, you know, through metamorphosis or osmosis being around Christian things, we kind of just evolved into a Christian. No, there's still a point in time. I grew up in the church, but I know on October 15, 1971, at Queen Elizabeth High School, uh, when, when the evangelist was there preaching Barry Moore Crusade, I know as a 10-year-old, Jesus changed my life. I knew what it was to confess my sin that morning, that morning and invite him into my heart. I knew what it was at the age of 10 to feel the Holy Spirit say, you're going to be a pastor. I knew those things without a shadow of a doubt. You see, so there are those moments we can look back and say, yeah, I know that God has spoken to me then. Or if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know that there was an encounter that you had with the presence and the love and the power of God. Whatever your experience may have been, and, and it might have been even since then, you've had other experience with the Lord. The problem is, oftentimes, is we don't walk in that. What I mean is that we, we allow what was that precious experience to happen, but then over time, we allow it to kind of morph into a Christian lifestyle. And so there's certain things that we embrace. We live a different way. There's certain things that we believe, and so we structure a certain life. We don't mean to do it, but it's very easy to replace that with a lifestyle that we accept. But you see, the change that God has started, like Paul says, he who has begun this good work and you will continue it, but that good work that God has started in us, however many years it may be, it can only be sustained. It can only grow through obedience to the Lord. 
by walking in a relationship with him where I'm communing with him, I'm hearing him, I'm obeying him, I'm letting my spiritual muscles begin to grow. In every situation, I'm acknowledging him. In other words, I have that living faith that we oftentimes talk about. You know, a lot of times King Saul is contrasted with David who became king after him. Because we look at David's life, and he seemed to walk with God from a very young age. In fact, the Scripture says of David that David was a man after God's own heart. And it's easy for us to think somehow, well, David just kind of had an edge on Saul. I mean, poor Saul, you know, those kind of things weren't said of him. But I believe as I read through the Scriptures, I, I see that not only did Saul, he didn't have the same history with God that David did, but when God called him to be king, God gave him the same heart that David had. Saul didn't, uh, David didn't have any advantage over Saul in that sense of the work of God that God did in Saul's heart. The Bible says God gave Saul another heart. He also gave him the Holy Spirit who came upon him, he says, that made him feel and act like a different person. Here's the difference. David had those moments with God. Saul had those moments with God. The difference is David cherished and David protected the anointing of God in his life. David valued the presence of God. David was in the Word of God. He says, I meditate on your Word day and night. David loved the Word of God. David walked in the Word of God. Hear me, saints. You can look all around you. There's not a single person in this room who has an advantage over you. Not a single person. Doesn't matter who they are, how God is using them. We all stand on level ground at the cross of Jesus Christ. We've all been washed by his precious blood. We all have the opportunity to receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. Every single one of us can live in the abundant life, the fullness of life that Jesus promised. It doesn't mean that life is always easy, but it means, as John says, we understand I have an anointing that remains. And when I live in that anointing, when I walk in that anointing, that anointing has the power to keep me free, to walk in what God has for me, and to bring me from strength to strength, from glory to glory. What God intended for Saul is the same thing we see manifest through David. God intended under Saul, not only would he destroy his enemies, but the boundaries of the nation of Israel would expand under his reign. God desires that for you and me. He wants to bring every single one of us from freedom to freedom. But we have to ask ourselves, do I cherish what God has done in my heart? Do I protect what the Lord has done for me? Friends, I said in the first service, I hope it's understood properly. I don't want to embarrass my wife. I hate to do that, especially on YouTube. But the reality is, there are times, I know you won't believe this, there are times when I am tempted. I didn't hear a gasp, so I guess you'd, you're not surprised. Okay, let me try it from a different angle. But there are times when I'm tempted. Whatever the temptation, whatever the sin, whatever the trial may be, I'm tempted to give in. I'm tempted to do what my flesh wants to do. But one of the reasons I don't do it as best I can is, number one, if I know the Lord's Word and know it's wrong, or, or, or I know that, you know, something I shouldn't be doing, I, I don't want to, you know, interrupt my fellowship with the Lord. But I'll tell you another reason is, is because I want to protect the anointing of God on my life. It means something to me. I've served the Lord long enough to know what it is, to, whether it's preaching the Word, whether it's sharing Christ with someone in the marketplace, whether it's laying hands upon the sick. I know what it is for there to be lingering sin or disobedience and the enemy to come to me and say, what are you doing? You've got no authority. 
Whatever lie he may tell, and sometimes it's true because whatever you choose to do, right? And so when temptation comes, oftentimes I'll look ahead and I'll say, I don't want to lose that. You see, that was the difference with David and Saul. Is that when push came to shove, Saul would often do what it is that he wanted to do out of fear or wanted to be in control or being impatient. You can read about his life. But what did David do when he was confronted by Nathan for his sin of adultery and of murdering an innocent man? What did he do? He said, I'll paraphrase, but he said, God, here, take my throne. If you want my throne, you have it. If you want the kingdom, it is yours. If you want me to, I'll live as a pauper. But whatever you do, Psalm 51, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. What was David saying? I don't want to lose what you've done in my life. I don't want to lose the reality of my faith. And I just feel in my heart this morning, I'm getting way off my notes here, but I just, just feel the simple truth that we could drive home this morning, that what the Lord has begun in you, let him complete it. What the Lord has called you to, who you are as his daughter, as his son, understand who you are in Christ. Understand how gloriously you have been saved. Understand the person and power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you can carry with you every day. And as you carry that presence everywhere you go, you can see his kingdom expand. You can experience a living faith. But you are the captain of your destiny. You are the master of your fate. The Lord has done everything he needs to do. The question is whether or not we cherish what he's done in our life, whether or not we will protect what it is he's given to us. I'm going to jump ahead. There's a number of examples of where Saul just made wrong decision after wrong decision. But they're really kind of summed up, I think, in 1 Samuel 15. There's an instance you may recall where the Lord says to the prophet Saul, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. They're a cancer in the land. They're a vile, vile, evil people. I just need to, to, to annihilate them, get, just like removing a sickness from the land. He said, I want you to go to battle against them. I want you to kill every man, every woman, every child, every animal. I want them completely erased off the face of the earth. Now, we can stand here pompously and judge God on that, but you weren't there then. <laughs> if you lived in that day, you probably would have said, praise God. Yeah, there are wicked, wicked, vile people. And so that's what he had to do. So Saul goes to battle. He does what the Lord says, but the problem is he didn't do everything the Lord said. He decided to spare the life of the king, kind of as a trophy probably, and also to, re to, stay, to keep the best of the animals. Now, Samuel catches up to him later on and says, basically, how'd it go, Saul? Oh, wonderful. I did everything you told me to. Oh, yeah, had a great battle, great victory. They're all gone. Everything you said. And Samuel says, then why in the world do I hear these animals? And he goes, oh, well, there's a reason for that. And right away, under stress, under pressure, what does he do? He blames his own people. He blames his own armies. He says in chapter 15, my men, my men, he's the, he's the king, but my men did not kill the best sheep and cattle that they captured. Instead, they brought them here to Gilgal to offer as a sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice that. To the Lord your God, right? What are you talking about, Saul? God gave you a new heart. God gave you, he changed your heart. He made you into another man. He gave you his spirit. What do you mean your God? He's your God, Saul, not just Samuel's. But we see through those words how far he has drifted. 
You see, when we don't cherish what God has done in our life, when we don't take advantage and begin to cultivate a walk with Him, where we are in His Word like David, because it says, Lord, even if I find it hard to read, Lord, give me a love for Your Word. Lord, let, let me esteem Your Word more than anything else in my life. Lord, don't take Your Holy Spirit from me. I want to abide in Your presence, be refreshed in Your presence every day. If we don't cultivate what the Lord has done in our heart, we will drift. And we will come to the place in our lives where we may not have lost our salvation, but there's no confidence anymore, right? There, there's no sense of really knowing who we are as the people of God, and we kind of think whatever God is doing, well, I, you know, God just kind of does it through them. He wouldn't do something like that through me. It's kind of like your God. And the Lord says, no, I'm your God too. And so he makes an excuse as to why he has all these animals. He says, oh, we saved all these best animals to sacrifice. And then what does Samuel say? I'm sure we know the story very well. He says, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen to God is better than the fat of rams. What is he saying? God has made provision for sin. If there's sin, an animal can be sacrificed to cover the sin. We're speaking Old Testament. To cover the sin for now that you can commune with God. But God takes no delight in seeing animals killed. He just made a provision in case you need it, right? He made the provision, but you know what he says? To obey is better than sacrifice. If you would obey, you won't need to sacrifice. You see? Friends, we have to get out of this mindset. I'm not saying that all of us think this way, but it's tempting. We have to get out of this mindset that, oh, God understands. Or I know I'm not doing what he said to do, but I'll ask forgiveness later. I just really want to do this now. David didn't have that heart. Yeah, David really blew with Bathsheba. He lived a long time, did a lot of wonderful things. David didn't have that heart. David had that heart of, Lord, I just want to chase that. You know, he had that, kind of like that Joseph default. You know, the woman's trying to entrap him. I'm gone. Leave the cape in your hand. I'm out the door. I'm not even messing around with this stuff. And that's why God could use Joseph the way that he did. But there needs to be that same default, that same switch in our own heart. Because there's a lot of times that we just feel we don't have that assurance, we don't have that confidence, we don't really feel we have that anointing. And that's what John says, you have an anointing that remains. But the reason you don't feel that anointing, that confidence sometimes, is because you allow your sin, your way, what you want to do to come between you and God. And then when it comes time that you need that confidence, you don't feel it. And the enemy has a heyday with you, or he just kind of straps you and, and hinders you from what it is he wants to do and what your heart longs for. And the Lord says, listen, if you just learn to obey me, John says, if you sin, you shouldn't, but if you do, you can confess your sin and the Lord will forgive you. But John says the preference is, even though the Lord has made a way for you to be forgiven, he says, don't sin. <laughs> don't sin. What's he saying? Obey. If you want to grow, if you want a living faith, you've got to learn to obey. You've got to learn when temptation comes to say, I may be tempted, but I don't want to lose the anointing. I may be tempted, I don't want to lose that confidence with God. I don't want that. Saul was king for 40 years, and it's so sad that his reign was summed up in chapter 14 in these words. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. God had said to Saul, I'm going to make you king, and you're going to destroy, defeat the Philistines. But because when push came to shove, he kept doing his own thing. 
I just want us to see this morning that Saul had every opportunity from the very beginning of his reign to be the standard against which all future kings could be measured. All he had to do was follow the Lord with all his heart. All he had to do was obey his commands, align his will with God's will. But instead, Saul chose his own path, and he drifted away from God. And his friends, is a sober reminder for all of us that we can have an incredible experience with God, we can have incredible testimonies from years past, and yet we can fall away from God if we do not protect that anointing by walking with God in a heart of full devotion. If we don't resolve to say yes to the Lord when he speaks to us. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me as we conclude with communion this morning. But in chapter 15, 35, it says this, The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, when I say that, I know there's a little demon whispering in your ear. God regretted making you. Look at your life. You're just one big regret. That's not what that word means. God in his foreknowledge knew all that would happen. But it never stopped him extending grace over and over again to the king. That word regret simply means this. If I could paraphrase, I would say it this way. It grieved the heart of God. It broke the heart of God. That Saul never became everything that God knew and gifted him to be. That's what the Hebrew word actually means, that it grieved God's heart. Hear me this morning, friends. God has never regretted making you. Jesus has never regretted choosing you. He is for you. He's for you. But you are the captain of your destiny. You are the sovereign of your kingdom. The Lord says, I've given you a new heart. I've changed you into a different person. I've given you my spirit. But do you really appreciate what I've done in you and what I've made it available to you? Are you walking in that? Like David, do you cherish the presence of God in your life? Do you do what you need to do to know his word, to love his word, to be shaped by his word, to obey his word? Why? So that the abundant life, the abundance that the Lord has for you in every area, that fullness, that sense of, of calling, that sense of destiny, that sense of purpose every single day, that it just continues to expand. And not only you, but those who are within the realm of your authority as a daughter of God, of the King, as a son of the King, your family, your children, your finances, your decisions, your workplace, wherever it may be, wherever you go, just like in the Old Testament analogy, wherever you step, I'll give you the land, wherever you go, wherever you go. How does the Lord transform our city? Not through us getting in a soapbox and lambast and all the bad things that a, a dark, lost, blind world is doing, right? What do we do? We start to realize who we are, and wherever we go, Lord, give me this land. Lord, give me my workplace. Give me my co-worker, Lord. I will pray for them. I will fast for them. I will listen to you, Lord, for however you want me to serve them, whatever it may be. Lord, give me the, the, the retailer at the store, the, the bank first, whatever it may be, wherever I go. Lord, use me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, right? But the enemy comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to rob our authority. And the Lord says, here's what I've done in you. Here's what I've given to you. Cherish it. Cherish it. Walk in it. And you'll be free. If you sin, 
confess it, I'll forgive you. But you know what? You don't have to sin. You don't have to. Isn't that mind-blowing? You don't have to sin. You can obey. You can be free. You can, you can grow. You can have fun. You're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your destiny. Amen? If you give your kingdom to the Lord, everything he's designed for you, it will come to pass. And in the midst of the storm, he'll give you strength as well to go through that. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.